Welcome to the Sewing Prosperity Podcast with host Logan Duvall. This father of four is an Arkansas successful small business owner whose world was turned upside down with the cancer diagnosis of his then five-year-old son. As Napoleon Hill famously stated, every adversity, every failure, every heartbreak carries with it the seed of an equivalent or greater benefit. Come and join us on our journey to create a Blue Zone community with a focus on a holistic approach to anti-cancer, regenerative farming, and strengthening local economies. Welcome to another episode of Sewing Prosperity. I'm Logan Duval, and today we're joined by Will Harris, who is the owner of White Oak Pastures in Georgia. We were able to go down and visit his farm and see the full impact. Uh, he was on the Joe Rogan podcast, which really kind of blew up, and uh, now it even has a book coming out. But uh, being from a small town that saw the core of our economic center just disappear in the pickle plant of Atkins, Arkansas, saw the impact that it had and how it destroyed our small town, and, uh, you know, it's still struggling today many years later. And what has happened in Bluffton is actually the opposite. They are creating a prosperous community that is providing a lot of jobs, a lot of income that uh, otherwise wouldn't be there without Will pushing forward and his full family that he has down there with him. They're making an impact on the local community, but even on the world in a greater scale because Will's no whole bar attitude way he talks it's slow it's drawn out it's methodical and he is absolutely one of my heroes enjoy this podcast and i hope you get a lot to take away when i started moving from a very industrial cattle monocultural cattle farm to what we do now it was mostly focused on the land and what was entirely focused on the land and the animals and mostly a process of giving things up and figuring, giving up technologies and figuring out how to make it without them. And there was absolutely no thought whatsoever given to the uh, community, community development side of it. The, the town had been in decline all my life, and I had no reason to believe that there was anything I could do about it. And, it, and, it, it, and I just accepted that as the way it is. Mm-hmm. That's just what happened. And spent absolutely no time or effort or energy on figuring out how to improve the time. None. Zero. A lot of time and effort and energy and money on how to improve the land and the island. Yeah. It's organically, little old, not big old, organically the town changed. And I didn't even notice it. It was gradual. And, 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 People would say, this is a nice little town. And I'd say, this is a nice little town. Because it, you know, it, 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 it had gone from, when I was growing up, I thought it was a nice little town. I believe the decline started right after World War II, like looking in the rearview mirror. But it was gradual and nobody noticed it. And, and, and you know, in the 50s and 60s, I still thought it was all right. You know, the kids were here, you know, it was all right. But it was going down. And it continued to do so until we changed the way we farmed. And when we changed the way we farmed, we brought people in, and it became economically relevant again. We, people, we brought people in, and they needed a place to live and 
dine and eat and sleep and shop and play. And so we built them. Like, 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 like the gym. Yeah. You know, they, they, they wanted the gym, so we put it in the gym. That, that was a small one. They hadn't done much with it. But most of these things are not utilized. And it's just a nice, it's a nice little town. It's a great place to raise children and grandchildren. How we take the principles that you've applied uh, for agriculture, entrepreneurship, and apply it to the community. And I think that's, you know, that's the biggest reason we want to come down here and visit with you and see, yeah. see this. When I started running the farm, I, you know, we had, you know, my dad had two or three employees, maybe four, and that's the way I ran it. So when I started changing, I would have had probably three minimum wage employees. The payroll would have been $1,000 a week. And you know, we grew it very gradually, or kind of gradually. I mean, we went from three employees to 180 employees in about a 10 or 15 year period. So that's, 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 that's pretty fast, yeah. but not explosive, but pretty fast. And you know, having worked off the farm post college helped me do that. You know, I worked for, you know, I was a regional manager for an agricultural cooperative and had supervised about 20 locations in South Georgia, South Alabama, North Florida. So that, that was, that, and I can't lift up specifically, but you know, the skills that you would develop in that kind of role would have been beneficial as compared uh, to if not having that experience. Yeah. I was shocked just simply going from where we grew up to actually living in Little Rock an hour away. So, you know, a whole county had 60,000 people versus, you know, a, a million there, mm -hmm. there in central Arkansas. And that's a massive difference mm -hmm. in, in perspective. And it's, uh, there's good and bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, you know, one of the questions I asked is, can you feed, you know, a lot of Georgia's got, what, five, six million people, depends on where you draw the lines. Can you, can you feed five, six million people farming like this? And, you know, I, I think so. It's, it's highly replicatable. I mean, I can't feed them, but farms like this can feed them. And if it can't, then you got we got to decide whether or not we need that many people in one place. I mean, maybe that's wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, they're there. you got to be fed. So, And maybe it's some... I don't know how that needs to look. I don't, uh, you know, maybe it's some combination of industrial farming and, and this, or I, I don't know how that needs to look. Uh, there are people that don't want to pay, you know, six or eight, nine dollars a pound for ground beef. They want to, they want to buy uh, two dollar ground beef. Yeah. And you know, somebody's probably going to raise it for them. People don't want to buy, you know, five or six dollar pound chicken. They want to buy two dollar pound chicken. Yeah. So, Somebody will raise it for them. The consumer side of it um, is so so valuable. We think that, and we talked about this before, was that's going to really drive it. It's the retail, it's the marketing that's side of, of it, and the consumer has to want this model and be willing to, to support it. Do what, what, what's like the biggest positive that we can share share with with somebody that's going to make the decision do i do i want the two dollar ground or do i want the the eight to ten dollar ground 
but people respond very well to visuals. We got a <clears throat> the most compelling visual we got is a uh, picture of uh, rainwater coming off our farm and a neighboring farm after about a five or six inch rain. It's just undeniably compelling. I mean, you, the, you know, that, that ain't right. This is you know, this is yeah. better. So I think that uh, those kinds of things, those kind of visuals, are important. Yeah. Uh, and you know, that's that's more what that's more what you do. I mean, I'm uh, you know I'm, I'm I'm the farmer. I mean, we, we're we're implementers. I'm not a I'm not a teacher. I'm not a trainer. I'm not a marketer. You know, we we manage land and all. Mm -hmm. When we were driving around and seeing everything, uh, there's a lot of life. That's one. That was the biggest mm. thing that I noticed. Versus, so in Arkansas, we're we're not short on agriculture. That's the number one industry mm -hmm. for the state. But when you are driving around Arkansas, experiencing agriculture, not seeing a lot of life, and yeah. that that was a big, big difference that I that, saw. That's also a good takeaway. And I love the term "teeming with life," and that's what we strive for. You know, in industrial farming, you. Know, you, you you're about killing things, you know, side, right? Pesticide, mm -hmm. herbicide, insecticide, fungicide. Side means kill, homicide. Side means kill. So here, instead of trying to find a symptom and kill it, what we're trying to do is cause the system to thrive, the cycles of nature. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that, the water cycle, mineral cycle, carbon cycle, uh, uh, water cycle, energy cycle, mm -hmm. all these cycles, cycles we don't even know. They're existing, they, they existed, and you know, no creature ever became powerful enough to break the cycles of nature until we humans got so damn good at technology, the technology to break the cycles of nature. And when you do that, the abundance that is supposed to come from the land ceases to occur. You know, all that oil and coal and gas in the ground, that's the abundance that occurred during the time of the dinosaur from the cycles of nature operating optimally. Mm -hmm. And now with, with, with monocultural linear uh, agricultural production, it's uh, input in, product back out. Yeah. It's not generating the abundance. So you know, I, I'm not surprised that the life here uh, impacted you, and it, and it does me too, and it, it's very intentional. It's just part of the uh, regenerative land management that we believe so strongly in. Yeah. The big other takeaway that I saw was the lack of machines and infrastructure in comparison to how I grew up around raising chickens. So when I, I grew up, uh, you know, my grandpa raises for, for a big, a big industrial farming operation and it is a massive house, right? Mm -hmm. We've got timers on curtains, water, they they have this little space is where they spend their entire lives you know mm -hmm. from the they hatch they get dropped off here and then they get taken everything is about being separate from nature 
everything. It mm -hmm. was protect from nature, whether that's, you know, a, a, a pathogen or the air, the heat, the cold. Mm -hmm. That was so different out going out there when you're seeing the, you know, the ducks and the turkeys out running around eating grass mm -hmm. in the sun. We, we, we tried to make farms into factories. You know, factories are very linear and they lend themselves to scale, which is efficiency. Mm -hmm. So that's the direction we went in. And it works really well, uh, except in a living system. Yeah. In a living system, which is not linear, it's cyclical. And scale uh, has unintended consequences. And the unintended consequences are usually unwanted and unnoticed and undesirable. What you're doing is, uh, in my opinion, extremely valuable and where I think that we have to continue figuring all this out is how do, how do we build the retail agricultural market? How do you continue to get better at what you do, making that work, and how do we work that together? Because there's going to come a time when these big, uh, these big retailers like or don't like what we're doing and they're not going to work with us, right? So how do we create our own? closed loop as you're so so passionate about but including the retail side of that <clears throat> well I don't, I don't know the answer to that um, I, and, I, and I don't operate under the assumption that food production is going this way it might but I don't, I don't operate under that as a as something I know is going to happen and you know I am perfectly prepared to remain a niche producer if that's what I have to do from a business perspective. From a citizen of the planet perspective, I like to see food production go this way, but I'm not convinced it will. If it does, it will be because consumers push it that way. You cannot expect a farmer who is invested in industrial ag, in a monocultural program to say, yeah, I'm just going to take all these incredible risks and do it different. Yeah. That, that, they, they go, people can't afford to do that. Yeah. And they probably go broke if they did. Uh, the universities are not going to start teaching it. They get their funding from big food and big ag for the most part. Certainly big food and big ag are not going to have a change of heart because that's not the business they're in. So, and I can go on and on about who is not going to lead that parade. So the only people that are going to be left is consumers. And I'm just unsure that's going to happen. There are a lot of people hopelessly addicted to obscenely cheap food. I don't know, they're just going to say, I had that all wrong. I'm going to start doing it very differently right now. I don't, I don't see that happening. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. I, mean, I want to leave my children and grandchildren in a position where if, if indeed food production goes that way, they'll be well situated to, to do it. But if it doesn't, they'll be able to make a living as a niche producer uh, selling to food to a more sophisticated consumer that does choose to eat differently. You have uh, much more of a generational focus 
I think that that's might be might be the major difference is you're you know we we got the family that you are able to look back on all the time and see how it's changed and then you're you talk about you know your six-year-old grandson mm -hmm. and, and about the future there I think that model difference is where yeah I've been struck by that you know so you know I, I have worked for a big corporation where it was all about the quarter report or the annual report. And as long as we can pay our bills, we don't even think about quarter reports or monthly reports or annual reports. You know, we gotta we gotta be cognizant of debt service and that sort of thing. But yeah. uh, when we make an investment, we don't expect it to pay out in a year or five years. We we uh, we make you know thirty year investments, generational investments. We talked about fencing. And we chose to put up permanent fencing. There's nothing wrong with temporary fencing. And if you're looking at a one-year window, a five-year window, that's what you should do. Right. But if you, it's just a completely different set of, of numbers if you're amateurizing it over 30 years. Well, I've got uh, two daughters and two in-laws who are 30-something years old. So they will be utilizing assets we invest for the next 30 years. They yeah. have a 30-year work history ahead of them. So it's a, it's a different business decision. Yeah. You know, what, what, you know, what, is, what is true wealth? You know, I, I, have a, I, I, I just about have a disdain for cash. If, I, if they don't stay on me, I keep, I'll get us in trouble because if I, if I get much cash, I go buy some. And I don't mean them. Harley or a condominium, I get a, another piece of land, or another building, or, or build something, or because I, I just don't have. To me, cash is like sugar, you know. It, you know, and, and wealth is like protein, you know. It, 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 and wealth is another herd, another flock, another acre, another building, and, and you, you can get in trouble like that. Well, you can, yeah. you know, you can. Uh, bill more than you can cash flow. I, I didn't. I did not understand cash flow. You know, you know I thought if it was a, if it's if if it's a good deal, you know, you can buy it for a hundred dollars and sell it later for five hundred. Shit, y'all do that. But I I had to learn the hard way that oh yeah, you got to make debt service every month to get it to that point. So you know. Uh, and it doesn't come intuitively to me. And, yeah. You know, luckily I surrounded myself with people that kept me from running it off the edge. But I, mean, I don't. I will leave my children some debt. I don't care. No, I leave them the uh, a business that will service the debt. Right. Cash makes you lay your ass up in the bed in the morning. Debt gets your ass out of the bed in the morning. That's, that's good. Yeah. You can get your ass out of bed more. I like leaving, leaving uh, your heirs a lot of cash is not good. Yeah. I like leaving as much wealth as I can, not cash. I got a good job. I, got, I, I love what I do. You know, I'm... Uh, I tell them I'm semi-retired. I, I work half the time. That's seven to seven, seven days. Yes. <laughs> That's half the time. But, you know, I don't, uh, 
I'm, I really don't do anything I don't want to do. Everything I do is something I want to do. So it's, I, I'm, I'm, I'm deliriously happy. That's, that's wonderful. We get to, we've met so many people out here and well, everybody's happy. Everybody's happy that we have ran into in kind. And so that, that community that you're, you've built and put together and everybody participates in is beautiful. And I hope that we're able to, to share to share that. Good. Well, thank you for coming.